Hi there, friends. My name is Misty Denman. I'm so glad to be studying Hebrews here with you again today because Hebrews is really good, but it's also kind of hard. And I learned a long time ago in school that the best way to study something hard is with your friends. I know we have to understand our Savior better and more deeply because of this study. I think we've connected the Old Testament with the New in some ways that I know for sure I had never understood before. They've been very meaningful to me. And isn't it kind of fun at this point in the semester now that we're perhaps 75, 80 way, 80% of the way through that those big ideas of the book of Hebrews are really all coming together now. You know, we watch the Hebrew Christians learn not to turn back to any of their old ways, any of their inferior ways of worship. We, in turn, have learned not to turn to anything in our own lives less than Jesus Christ himself for salvation, for hope, for healing, for hope, for grace, for mercy, for courage. One of the big takeaways, one of the things I think I will leave here with um, probably for years to come is how often I now say to myself, Jesus, you are greater than. It's usually in my mind, but I cannot tell you how often I say, Jesus, you are greater than, and fill in the blank. I'll say, Jesus, you are greater than the to-do list that seems too long to do today and how overwhelmed I feel. Please give me your, fa- your sense of peace. I have walked into rooms and thought, Jesus, you are greater than um, how scary it is to be in this room of people I don't know. Please help me not say weird things and to feel um, at peace and to be kind to those around me. This is not one of those rooms. I kind of know y'all and those I don't are pretty easy to get along with. Um, Jesus, you are greater than has been a quick and practical tool for me. It's been a gift. Um, I'm going to take that with me. I think this chapter, Hebrews 11, is a gift as well. If you remember all the way back to the very first question on the very first day of September when we started this study, the question was, what's one thing you're looking forward to or what's one thing you know about the book of Hebrews? The number one answer was Hebrews 11 or you know the, the um, hall of faith, and that is what we're studying today. There's nothing quite like it in all of the Bible. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And let's ask the question together, what is faith? I think we'll find the answer has multiple different facets. It can look um, outwardly different in how it plays out in the lives of God's people. But no matter how it plays out Faith is always rooted in the same core truths, and we're going to come back to those again and again today, and I hope and pray that there's going to be some real comfort and encouragement um, on these pages today and some things that we can take away from this study and really cling to in um, our daily lives. For now, I'm going to read just verses one and two, and we are going to find out what faith knows is true in these verses. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. 
Now, this is not so much a definition of faith as it is a description of faith. It tells us the important things about what faith knows and what faith does. And as we look at the lives of the people recorded here, I think we'll see that the power of heaven itself comes along with living a life of faith. So I think one thing we need to ask ourselves is what exactly do these well-known words really mean in this context? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And one thing I know is that some of us have learned these beloved verses in other translations, and I'm going to read a few of those for us because I think that they, by looking at them in other translations, it also helps us kind of get some nuance of what those words mean. The NIV says faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. New American Standard says, faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. And actually, my very favorite is from the King James Version, which I have never really read and studied from, but it says, and I'll bet some of you memorized this when you were young, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you boil this down, and this is at the very top of your outline, biblical faith is a deep confidence in God, knowing he is trustworthy and keeps his word. You know, in the original language, that word assurance or confidence is hypostasis, and it encompasses these ideas, being resolute and firm because that which we stand on is solid fact. I was thinking about that word, um, this definition, this verse, and that word hypostasis about two weeks ago when I was working on this lesson, I took a little break and was vacuuming the living room, and I looked down and I thought, oh my gosh, okay, so I am 100% sure that the ground I'm standing on under this carpet is built of solid concrete. I have a solid concrete foundation under this house. I can't see it because that whatever subflooring and concrete and carpet covers it. I can't see that from the outside of the house because I've got you know landscaping that covers it all around, but I know it's there because that's how houses are made. I also know it's there because no matter how much heavy furniture and people I put on top of it, it has never collapsed. That is evidence that it is built on top of something solid. If I just had, um, you know, a quarter inch of tile there, it would have collapsed. I have confidence that there's a solid foundation of, under my house without ever having seen it. It literally holds me up now. It will continue to do that in the future. Faith works in much the same way, and we can point to the ways that it has worked that way in our lives. Those of us who are believers and have been for any length of time can point to the ways that the Lord has worked in our lives, the way the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. It is a firm ground to stand on while we wait for the fulfillment of God's promises that he has given us in his word. His word is full of promises for us, and it is that foundation that we stand on. For those of us who have already trusted Christ, our salvation is sure and secure forever. We certainly have learned that in the book of Hebrews. We've talked about it many times. So from the point of our salvation, 
Until either we die or Jesus returns, we are being sanctified or matured in him. And one day, our glorified bodies will live with him forever in heaven. I think we can only know about this much of how great that is going to be. We can't see it now, but we will be with him. Um, We hope for that day. Faith always involves that which is not seen These are the promises that we stand on. These are some of the things that we have faith in, the foundational beliefs that come along with our life in Christ. And I want to say a word about hope here. Hope, as we read it in the New Testament, particularly as we read it in this chapter, is directly tied to God's good future promises, of which there are many throughout the scriptures. And if you look carefully at each of the people described in this chapter, they all chose to look beyond their present circumstances to a future hope in which God rewarded their obedience with himself and his kingdom. That is what their hope was in. That is what this hope describes. The people of old in verse 2 were all the saints written about in this chapter and all of the saints who aren't listed here but were accepted by God as righteous because of his faith. All of those who came before Jesus. We've talked about that also before in the book of Hebrews. Now look with me at verse 6. We're going to be doing some skipping around for sure today. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he is, and that he rewards those who seek him. There is just one thing that pleases God. Just one thing. That's our faith. By grace... Through faith, we are saved from our sin, and he is so pleased when we do that. By faith, we come to him daily with open hearts and open hands, and he is pleased with us when we do that. By faith, we obey his word, and we do what he asks us to do, whether it's the popular choice or not, and he is pleased with us when we do that. Remember with me what we learned back in chapter 4. Look with me on your verse sheet. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we do this, he is pleased. You know, for some of the men and women here in this chapter, their faith led to great earthly victories. Those are really fun stories to read about, like when the walls of Jericho fell. For others, um, especially as we read about near the end of this chapter, it led to torture, um, martyrdom, and death. On this side of heaven, our faith guarantees only one thing. It guarantees that God is pleased 
It guarantees God pleasure with us. Um, It doesn't necessarily um, guarantee any sort of earthly reward, but I've been thinking how much better is there? What better reward would there be in all of the earth than knowing God's pleasure with us? How much more lasting is that than anything um, we could hope for on this side of heaven? Not only is God pleased with our faith, but he rewards our faith. I think there is great grace and mercy on that because he's certainly doesn't have to. He's he's deserving of um, our faith. Um, And and I I just see his reward as such a it's a, a beautiful bonus to us. You know, just last week, we were encouraged by these verses in chapter 10. I put those on your verse sheet as well. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence in God, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance in the faith, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. This is uh, one of those places where um, you see those themes in Hebrews really beginning to come together and really beginning to um, build on each other. It's, it's, to me, it's a really satisfying part of the semester here where we see these things. So we were encouraged by them, um, and we get a better picture of what these rewards Um, will look like towards the end of this chapter. So we're going to come back to that in a bit. The rest of this great chapter, after we get some of those foundational truths here in verses 1, 2, and 6 that we just read, are going to hold up for us these great men and women of faith, sort of one after another. In my mind, I kind of picture it like a museum that you walk through the doors and you have this display one after another where you stand in front of them and you look at their lives and you learn about the things that they did, and um, I wish I could see pictures of them and what they looked like. Uh, But for both the Hebrews and for us, I think remembering them, reading and learning about them is really both a celebration of what God does in the lives of those who trust him. I also think they are definitely an example meant for us to emulate, to live up to. In this chapter, there are kings and there are leaders and there are honored and esteemed people and there are others of the more ordinary sort who lived quieter lives of reverence. Some of these people are the most well-known people in um, you know, all of um, the Christian faith. Some of them aren't named at all. And just like the people of old, by faith, God's people today draw near to him and please him with our trust and obedience. So let's read some more about these men and women beginning in verse 3. Verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So before we actually get to any of these great men and women, we almost have like a little aside here, I think. And I really like it because a lot of what we learn about faith in this chapter is very forward-looking at the promises of things to come. But before we get there, it's almost as if our author takes a look backward all the way to the very beginning of time and says, hey, faith also looks back and believes, even though we, can't, we didn't get to see it happen, can't see it happen, that God spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. And that 
is our origin. I love that that's included here. Now let's look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You know, the story of Cain and Abel is found in Genesis chapter 4. They were two sons, brothers of Adam and Eve. Both presented offerings to the Lord out of their respective agricultural work that they had produced. God was pleased with Abel's offering but rejected Cain's. And it's with really careful reading of the account in both Genesis and here that you kind of come to understand that Abel's was the better sacrifice because it was given out of a pure heart of faith. You know, Abel quite literally opened his hands to God. Abel understood that God was real, is real, God is good, and that he was worthy of sacrifice and worship. Abel's heart for the Lord is echoed in all the other men and women of faith in this chapter that are here too. So there's a lot that this story of Abel teaches us. One of those things is that living a life of great faith doesn't require any sort of special or superior upbringing or intellect or circumstance or any kind of leg up in life. I appreciate that very much. This is one of those things I hope we can all remember from this chapter because it means that all of us, um, the most you know, average, ordinary men and women in the most average and ordinary of circumstances. Perhaps nobody will ever remember our names um, and anything written after we are gone can live the lives of um, powerful faith that accomplishes much. I will remember that when I think of Abel. Now, he did get recorded in history, but um, there are many people with lives of similar faith that do not. You know, Abel was just a simple shepherd. He lived in a family with some pretty rough dynamics. Certainly, there was a wicked case of sibling rivalry there. It says, though he died, he actually was murdered by his um, brother, who was jealous of God's acceptance of his sacrifice. You know, his parents were Adam and Eve. They set the worst example ever for him and for the rest of us when they disobeyed God and brought, you know, sin into the whole world, messed things really badly up for them, for their family, for the rest of all of us. But despite that, by God's grace, Abel stood resolute in doing what he knew to be right in God's eyes. We can do the same. You know, Abel's faith did not earn him any good things that this world gives, not esteem, not privilege, not wealth. It cost him his life, actually. He's the first recorded martyr in all of history. Uh, He's not the only one that that's true. Well, he is the first recorded martyr, but he's not the only one in this chapter that um, didn't receive earthly um, good things on this earth for his faith, but Abel's faith accomplished righteousness and a lasting spiritual legacy. In fact, his legacy still spurs us on today. His faith spurs us on today. So whether we realize it or not, our faith encourages others to be 
faithful as well. I know we can all think of examples in the Bible, uh, stories we've heard, whether um, of um, people that tell us stories around tables here, things we've read in books, missionaries of um, people in um, real life, Uh, that have given us by hearing their stories of their deep faith, that remembering that just kind of gives us the spiritual oomph sometimes we need to hang in there with God. I know that um, my husband started a um, small business about six years ago. I have a friend who just a few years before that started um, her own small business. She sat down with me at lunch at a time um, when um, I was struggling in my own spirit to... um, trust God in a, in a real hard part of our journey with my husband's business. And she just real simple and matter-of-factly told me the ways that God had provided just enough for her all along the way. And I have thought about that conversation over and over. And just her sharing a very simple story of her own life with me has um, bolstered my own faith in real and tangible ways over and over again. Faithful people encourage others to be faithful, oftentimes without knowing they are doing it. Um, In fact, if I see her tomorrow, I'm going to tell her um, how often I've gone back to what she um, told me because I have a feeling she doesn't even remember that conversation and know what a big deal it was. We need each other on this spiritual journey. Faith guarantees us these two things of the greatest value, God's pleasure and his future rewards for us in heaven. So when we trust that God's word is true, there can be joy and peace even during hardship so long as we are keeping the faith. When we have faith that the promises here are true, that brings us joy and that brings us peace. It's often the only thing in our life that can bring us joy and peace. It's not on your verse sheet, but I love Isaiah 26.3. Listen to this with me. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We keep our minds stayed on him through our faith. All right, let's keep reading. Now, we're going to skip down to Abraham in verse 8, because if we covered every single one of these people at the pace I'm going now, you'd have to just get up and go make dinner at some point tonight. Um, So we're not going to get to cover every single person in this chapter, but... Um, if you ever wanted to, maybe in our off season between um, Thanksgiving and the New Year or this summer sometime, go through and uh, study more in depth all of the rest of this people in this chapter. I think it would be a lot of fun. It's pretty easy to um, Google the um, charts that show you um, in the Old Testament exactly what um, books and chapters all of these stories are in. Uh, it'd be fun to do by yourself with a friend. Anyway, um, that's something you could do at some point. So we're going to skip down to Abraham um, and start in verse uh, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. 
For he was looking forward to a city that has a foundation, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah, and Sarah is Abraham's wife, herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, that's Abraham, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I never fail to think that sentence is so funny to be described in him as good as dead. Um, so that full account of um, Abraham and Sarah is in Genesis. It's, it's really awesome. Um, like Abel, we'll uh, look at Abraham's story through that lens, that description of faith that's on the top of our outline. Faith being that deep confidence in God, knowing he's trustworthy and keeps his word. So God called Abraham and Sarah to leave the place and the people they had known their whole lives long, a place surely they loved and expected to spend the rest of their lives to go out into a place they did not know what it would be like. They did not know what, was, what would happen. They did not know what to expect. And Abraham, along with his wife Sarah, obeyed God's word because true faith always leads to obedience. They picked up their family, left everything they knew, the future they imagined, because God said so. And they didn't know what the journey would look like along the way. God just said go. And they went. Abraham and his wife Sarah were able to do what I think was such a courageous thing because of who was telling them to go. They didn't have to know exactly where the journey would take them, what it would look like along the way, what the risks would be before they got started because knowing that it was God who was sending them was enough for them, but it could only be enough for them because of how well they already knew God, because of their just rock-solid confidence in God's goodness and trustworthiness and his power to take care of them. Now, I am of the opinion that Abraham wouldn't have had such a great spiritual legacy had he chosen a wife of lesser character. We get a glimpse of Sarah's heart when we learn that she um, had such great faith in God that she believed God when he told her that she would conceive her son Isaac when she was well beyond childbearing years after many years of never having been able to conceive before. But this is where I also want to remind you another great lesson um, that I have learned about faith, which is that all of these men and women, um, when you do go back and look at their full accounts, um, their stories in the Old Testament, are heroes of faith, and they also pretty much all did some astonishingly dumb things things. So don't ever, ever believe Satan's lie that your past sin disqualifies you from a great present or future walk with the Lord, a walk by faith, because it absolutely does not. These people are living proof of that. They made it into that this great um, chapter. They were commended by God. They um, um, went on to do great things that um, pleased God, despite some um, uh, real 
um, sin in their lives that um, I know they had to deal with uh, in order to have those great walks. But anyway, keep that in mind. So have you ever been prompted by the Lord through his word or some good teaching or, you know, just a growing conviction as you've prayed through an issue to either do something or not to do something that was hard and uncomfortable that you either really didn't want to do or really didn't want to stop doing. I know you have because I have. We've all been there. I think uh, Abraham and Sarah's story always makes me think about that kind of issue in life. And we've always got just two choices when that happens. We can obey or we can disobey. I think there are times when we're pretty skilled at being disobedient and convincing ourselves that we're not actually being disobedient at all. Just a real small example, but Abraham's life always makes me think of this. Have you ever been asked to um, perhaps serve somewhere that makes you pretty uncomfortable or just um, step out in faith in a way that makes you pretty uncomfortable. It's outside of your skill set a little bit. It's outside of your comfort zone a little bit or a lot of it. Um, it scares you in some way, but you've got that little voice of the Holy Spirit that says, I hear your objections, but I want you to do it anyway. Um, and you can either, I can either talk over that voice loud enough that you can't hear it anymore, or you can just... Um, yield to God's spirit and by faith do it anyway, risking the chance of failing, risking the chance of being embarrassed. Um, look at 2 Corinthians 5-7 with me on your verse sheet. In those situations, I think this gives us real good instruction. And I think Abraham's story gives us real good instruction. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And those situations where you feel like the Lord is asking you something to do and you don't know the outcome and it seems scary and uncomfortable walking by faith and not by sight um, is, is probably a good way to go. It often means um, we choose to quit rehearsing our shortcomings and the hesitations and just simply do what God asks us to do and go where he asks us to go and risk the failure um, and start being more concerned with um, um, pleasing God than we are with either preserving our ease or our reputation um, or pleasing ourselves. I think I chose this example because it has been a pretty common thread through my own faith walk, but I can tell you two things for sure. It's always hard, and God has always come through for me. I haven't always gotten it right, and I have failed and been embarrassed, but I haven't ever been sorry that I have said yes to God. Um, and I do think the Lord and I have built up a history together. And I do think it does get easier each time you do it. So these are things I think of when I think of the story of Sarah and Abraham. Abraham walked by faith and not by sight for the rest of his life. And because he did, there is no doubt he gave up plenty of opportunity for ease and comfort during his time on earth. But here is what he gained. He became the father of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. He, because of his obedience, um, 
set in motion um, the things that would happen so that Israel would be able to inherit the promised land. Through his descendants came Jesus who gives life and salvation to all who believe. We are part of um, you know, his um, spiritual descendants all because Abraham's faith gave him an eternal perspective to see beyond his here and now, down the road to what God was asking him to do and future rewards later. He saw what was coming later in God's kingdom and knew that present sacrifice and obedient was well worth the effort. I think verses 13 through 16 very well sum this up. Look at those with me. These all, and that's all of those who came um, before uh, the, the men and women of faith that were described in the verses before chapter 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. And that means they didn't all get to see an earthly um, reward that they were looking for. For example, Abraham did not... Um, see descendants um, that were as numerous as the stars in the sky. He just saw, um, you know, just a, a very few in his family. He didn't see and live in the promised land. That was for future generations. All these died not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus made it clear that they are seeking a homeland, and that's in heaven. If they had been seek, thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. In other words, Abraham could have gone back if he had wanted to from where he came from. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city and that is heaven. Now let's look at a time much later in Abraham's life, uh, beginning in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Isaac was his son, and Isaac was the son through whom God said all of Abraham's descendants um, would come. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Um, and let me stop here and just say that what had happened was um, when Isaac was a young man, um, you notice here that says, um, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. God tested Abraham's faith by telling Abraham that he, um, well, asking Abraham to um, um, offer Isaac up as a sacrifice, to, to kill Isaac as a sacrifice. This was not something that would, this was a very unusual uh, circumstance, not something that God normally asked. It was a test of his faith. So um, knowing all that, let me uh, start back at the beginning of 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Isaac was both Abraham's much-beloved son, and like I said, the one through whom God had told Abraham his many descendants would come. But before Isaac had any children of his own, God tested Abraham's faith by telling him to slay Isaac as a sacrifice. And again, Abraham chose to obey God without hesitation or questioning. And we can only imagine what that would have been like for Abraham because Isaac was his child. Abraham knew that as as Isaac died, it would be impossible for God to fulfill those promises of descendants to come through him. But Abraham was such a man of faith. He was so certain that God could fulfill those promises that he concluded that God would just have to somehow raise Isaac from the dead. It's not something he had ever seen before, but he just had that deep confidence that God would provide a way. I think he also had to be certain uh, that God would somehow give him the strength to survive the taking of his child's life and survive the aftermath of it. Sometimes life is so painful and confusing that we can't see our way out of what is going on. Those are times that it's faith that has to tell us over and over again that even though we can't see our way out or through God does, and he will follow through on his word. Look with me at a couple of great promises we can cling to in the really hard times, beginning with 2 Corinthians 4 on your verse sheet. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, this verse is sometimes hard. Um, The things of this earth are often incredibly difficult. They're only light and momentary in comparison to the um, length and glory that is to come when we are with the Lord in heaven. But also look with me at Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There are better days coming. Oftentimes, better days come in this world, but there absolutely are better days coming in glory. Abraham's test of faith was with Isaac is hard and unsettling for me to think about. That may be true for you as well. It does make me think about a conversation I had with a friend just a few weeks ago. We were having lunch, and she shared with me that as um, people talk about, or anytime we study um, persecution, she has a real fear that if she lives through a time when um, she has to suffer um, through true, real persecution, that she won't be able to stand up under it and that she'll fail God. And I told her, I've had that that fear myself many times. So we talked about it for a while and we both decided a few things. One is that if we're practicing being faithful in the small and the medium things of life, we'll 
will be far more prepared to um, withstand and be faithful in the big things of life, whatever they are, whether they're persecution or other things. And we also reminded each other that God gives us grace in the moment for whatever it is we need. I believe that um, in that test, God gave Abraham the grace and strength he needed to be faithful. I believe that he gives us the grace and strength we need to be faithful as we cling to him. Abraham's ultimate test of faith with Isaac did come many decades into his life. It was after a lifetime of walking with God that his heart and his mind had that strength to trust God under the most difficult and confusing of circumstances. It made me think about how Jesus once told his disciples that he who is faithful in little will also be faithful with much. I think that's part of the principle that played out here with um, Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac. Also look at what Paul teaches us in 2 Peter 3.18 on your verse sheet. He instructs us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is by those daily choices that we stand on and rest in God's word that we build up the spiritual strength that the big things in life requires. Um, I, the, the people in this chapter, um, I don't think, went from zero to 100 and living lives of faith. I think they were people who practiced um, righteousness and listening to God's word and walking with God and praying and listening to his word and um, worshiping all of the days of their life. Um, and then when it came time to do the things that, um, that they needed to do that are recorded here, they were very much able uh, to do those things. By faith, what Abraham's story teaches us is that God's people do what he asks us to do and go where he asks us to go without needing to know the income. Because if we all knew how the story ended before it started, it wouldn't require faith. Okay, let's go on and read verses 32 through 40, and we're going to look at how faith triumphs. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail... Uh, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So the people listed here 
were, many of them were Israel's leaders and prophets. It was through their deep faith that they were able to accomplish a lot of earthly victory, everything from military conquests to, um, of entire kingdoms, um, and that would not be by their own might, but by the power of God. I love the part about enforcing justice. That brings much glory to God. You know, the part about closing the mouth of lions surely is a reference to Daniel. That was a powerful miracle. It resulted in Daniel's uh, rescue and uh, God God's glory, the stories of persecution and martyrdom are probably stories that happened um, in that period between when the Old Testament ended and the New Testament began. Um, Those people are not named, but um, obviously were people of great faith. In fact, I think that Abraham, Sarah, Enoch, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, all the others in this chapter trusted God so thoroughly for a better future to come, particularly these ones I think that you notice at the end of this chapter here, that for them it was as if that far-off future were already present with them, and that was because of their deep confidence in God. They didn't see heaven and those far-off promises as way out there and sort of hazy and fuzzy and this is probably going to happen and, um, and I'm pretty sure about this kind of thing. Instead, their hope was so firm and sure, I think there was very little difference in their own mind between the here and now and their future with the Lord in heaven. God's promises were so real to them that they were able uh, to see it so clearly that it um, made the present suffering of this earth uh, much more uh, bearable, I believe. I've been thinking about that, um, that 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 could be true of us as well, that as we grow in our trust, that the hard things of this earth can lose a lot of their grip on us and that the glory of heaven can grow brighter and bring us so much more hope and um, comfort. And I wonder if maybe that's the reason that the people of real deep faith that we know tend to have those real deep reservoirs of peace no matter what's happening in their own lives and what's happening around them because their God is so near that he just gives them a really uh, settled and peaceful spirit and soul. Uh, I want to be like that. I want to be that person that other people notice. Wow, she's just not shaken by what goes on around her. Um, We've been talking about the promises of God throughout this chapter. So I want to ask, what does it mean in verse 39 when we read that all of these people did not receive what was promised? Well, what it means, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, is that from an earthly perspective, many of these people um, ended their lives in defeat. Certainly being sawed in two would look like a defeat. They died without earthly victory. But they knew, and we know differently, because of their faith, in verse 38, they are proclaimed 
people of whom the world is not worthy. And that is God himself saying about them because the scripture is God breathed. God says these are people of such great weight, of such great worth and um, faith. The world was not worthy of them. And I just thought, oh, to live and die in such a way that God commends us like that, that because of their faith, their reward um, and death is better by far than any earthly victory they could have had, their internal inheritance paid for by Jesus, Son of God, that eternal perfection forever, their glory being in heaven, um, that is true victory. That is true for the saints of old, and it is true of us as well. What do all these great men and women have in common? They believed in the goodness of God while living in a hostile world that could have convinced them otherwise, but did not. Their hope in God's redemption sustained them through some real and deep suffering. They were made strong by their hope in God. We can be made strong by our hope in God. Whether in earthly victory or defeat, God himself bears witness to everything that they did, to everything we have to give, but I want to encourage us with this as we close. We cannot be women of faith alone. We have to help each other. It's too hard to do on our own. We weren't meant to do it alone. So by faith, God's people will encourage each other until the day we hear our Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. So let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you um, for calling us to you. I thank you for giving us these men and women to be examples of faith for us. I pray that they, they would be an encouragement to us. I pray that as we think about them, that they would um, show us ways that we can um, live our lives in just real practical and everyday ways. I thank you, Lord, that um, whether the world sees and knows our name or not, you see our faith. Um, we are not unseen by you, that you are pleased with our faith and that you will reward our faith. I am asking that you would encourage the heart of every woman listening here today that you see her faith, that you, um, that you are with her in her journey, that um, your Holy Spirit is working in her life. Um, and I just thank you, God, that you are with us. I thank you, Lord, that, um, that you have given us this journey that we are on. Lord, you are good and you are great and you are mighty. You are holy and you are powerful and your word is true. We love you, Lord, and we ask all of these things in your holy name. Amen.